Hey everyone, welcome back to Investing Ethos and this is our first video. This is uh, me, El Paso, and we got Noise One from Strawman. And wanna, yeah, we want to just do something a bit interesting where we're talking about Strawman in particular and how it's a great platform for new investors. And in this weekly, we just want to go through a couple of topics that we feel are quite important for new investors to come on board. And we thought, why not do a weekly podcast where we talk about some of the stocks we own, as well as looking into some more deep dives and just have our say on what's going on. And I think it's a good way of recapping the week and finding some new insights. So, Noise One, welcome aboard. Can you give me Thanks. a background on yourself? Um, what made you interested in straw man and everything? Yeah, sure. So first started in Strawman after I saw Andrew presenting at Coffee Micro Cups uh, in Sydney a few years, uh, maybe 18 months ago now. Um, so I've been on the platform since just after COVID or maybe just before COVID last year. I don't think I actually set up my portfolio till after the market had risen 10%. So that's uh, my excuse for the underperformance anyway. Um, so just uh, graduated from finance at Macquarie University uh, this year. Um, and basically started looking at stocks properly for the last 12 months. So I thought Strawman was a great place to start. Um, that's how we met, and I've met quite a few like-minded individuals that are really switched on and just sharing great ideas. Uh, so I think the, the podcast is a great idea um, because often a lot of the time to write out some of the long posts on Strawman takes a long time. So especially when I'm driving to and from work, it's the sort of perfect thing just to listen to people talk about stocks that I'm always looking for podcasts. So I think it's a great opportunity for those to listen and uh, chat about the platform. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And um, obviously, we're going to be doing both in Spotify as well as doing it in YouTube so you could see both the visual and the audio. And I think uh, this is a great way for us to interact. And we will have more guests in the future if this becomes something that's sustainable. Um, but uh, let's let's move forward. Um, so in the, in the weekly, we're going to be splitting it into four sections. We're going to start with stock of the week, uh, then a top 10 straw man stock to discuss. And then we look at the investor of the week that we choose. Um, and uh, it's an interesting investor to choose every week just to, just to show exactly who is being very active in the platform as well as who has some very interesting things to say. And finally, we'll wrap it up with some lessons um, either from me or from you um, that we took out from this week of investing. Because, you know, every week we go through phases in the market and we get to learn some things and obviously um, painful lessons are a good way of learning. And that's, that was my theme for this week, but obviously there could be some good wins in your portfolio for this week as well. So it's going to be a mixture of both, but let's start with, let's start with stock of the week. And I mean, there's no, there's no better stock to discuss than Jadison because it's a stock that I've been doing research for more than 12 months, um, nine months, from the, if you're looking at the OECD contract in detail, but 12 months altogether since I you know, did my initial deep dive. And you, my mate, um, I know you have been looking into Jadison as well. And so is a lot of chatter in the, in the straw man platform. So um, first off, um, Jadison, what do you think about it? Yeah, so some of your confidence rubbed off on me to have a look at this one. Uh, so I've got to thank you for it. Um, I started looking at Janison maybe six months ago. I never got as deep into the financials as I should have, and I've obviously missed the boat in terms of the recent share uplift in the business performance. Uh, but I, I sat down and, uh, from scratch and, and went back to uh, the prospectus and had a look at what these guys kind of aim to do. So they've been around for a couple of years now. Um, and, in, and reflecting on the, the impact that COVID's had, I thought I wanted to target a business that's got long-term tailwinds and the digitalization of education is one thing that COVID has definitely brought forward and I think will stay around for a while. I can't imagine on a personal level doing an exam in high school writing essays anymore. I just can't. I, so that's kind of within my thinking when I first uh, started looking at Jamison, but that's obviously not uh, the ballpoint of the, the whole investment thesis. Um, so I always like to map the financials out first and kind of see what we're at. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of growth priced into Janison, which, you know, isn't worrying because I think the runway for more uh, growth is fantastic with the OECD contract. 
Um, obviously, we've we've chatted a bit about uh, the the deal running to 2024 and possibly the market kind of seeing this as a bit of an issue uh, because the stock's not it's not trading on uh, what's the current market capitalization 180 roughly million. Uh, so it's it's it, it's got a bit of growth priced in, but I think that there is maybe a slight background worry just uh, with this contract running out at some point. And, and if revenues are going to contribute so much from this contract, then what happens afterwards? Uh, at, a, at a price to sales of six, like it's not too bad. Uh, but I don't like to use price to sales. It's more of a proxy to see is the thing super overvalued? No. Okay, good. Um, and I think understanding the OECD contracts and 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 the the other business they bought the ICAST business. I haven't spent enough time on that one, so. I think you'd be better to speak about that. But I think the OECD contract's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, runway. And I'm very interested to see the numbers come through, especially for the UK, um, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland numbers, particularly because they're the NSP provider there. I think the US is also promising. But for me, um, uh, with the US coming out of the lockdown with the schools, I think the US and the UK uh, are really really, really promising. Australia has shown some great growth in the, what, six months in or less. So they've been signed up. So I think it's a phenomenal opportunity there. Yeah. And I, and I think you've touched on a couple of really good points for Janison because um, there are real, I mean, for, for those who don't know, Janison is an education technology company that provide digital exams. And um, these are high stakes exams. So some of the key exams involve entry-level exams to universities. So they have had an agreement with the Czech Republic, a university in Czech Republic, where they do the, like the selective high school exam, more like the HSC exam for Australia, but for Czech Republic, where you know students want to get into universities, they're the first pass this entrance exam to do it, and they digitize that exam. And they did really well. But uh, the key driver for this business um, is OECD contract, like you mentioned, OECD is the biggest opportunity. There are 90 countries in the world that uh, participate in the OECD PISA for schools test exam. And it's an annual exam. And Janison won this contract against Pearson, which is the largest education provider in the world. So an, a startup in Australia in 2019, sorry, 2018, because they bid on the contract in 2018, uh, won the contract in 2019 against a global behemoth in the form of Pearson. And when I saw that, I thought, well, <laughs> surely not. Like this, this, this company that in Australia cannot like survive uh, because they were burning cash all over the place. But now you start to see whatever um, uh, Tom Richardson, the previous CEO did, has worked really well. And now the current CEO, David Kasparov, is now all about expanding and expanding um, to different geographies, as well as expanding the revenue opportunity. Because right now, with 90 countries, if you do a rough analysis, which is you know about 700,000, give or take, per country on an IPP, you're looking at about $50 million. And that's not even considering the national service provider, where they get $7,000 per school. Um, and they got the NSP for USA, the UK, UK is composed of Australia. and yeah, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and um, well as Australia. So yep. add, add all this together, even the OECD opportunity is around about $90 million. That's assuming mm -hmm. no NSP for anything else. Um, and, um, you know, it's just Lots the new countries they've got to sign up. Yeah. And, and one of the countries, countries. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the countries that is not yet signed up is India. And India is massive, humongous. Uh, I think they have more schools than I think everyone else, right? But I'm most likely considering India to be an IPP. I do not, I do not think they're going to be an NSP because I, I do not think they have the network uh, laid out. No, not yet. Um, because they have, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be like, you know, country sis, but like, you know, Janison is an Australian company and that's why... Mm -hmm agreements that they have are with like Western speaking, English speaking nations. Yeah, makes sense. Well. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, you know, they, they got, they got China, um, they're an IPP there. Um, there's a lot of uh, growth opportunities for them. And I think what's really great about this company is not only just that one contract, but 
the potential partnerships that result in it. So they have a partnership with the D2L uh, Brightspace in USA uh, to grow the PISA-based test for schools uh, exam. But obviously they can do for other tests as well. Uh, same, with, uh, same with Benesi in Japan. Benesi is a massive yep. provider of you know, exams in Japan. And they, don't, they not only do the PISA test, but they could do other tests as well. Um, so in a way, that's what I kind of feel uh, happy about as an, as an investor, as a shareholder, is because they have optionality with the partners that they have on the platform. Uh, but obviously, Reese, you're right. Uh, 2024 is not too far off. And that's when they have to renew this contract. Um, and if they do not pass, and if they do not you know, succeed in getting that renewed, then there could come a risk where they lose all these customers, right? Um, that is a genuine risk for shareholders, but that's a 2024 problem, um, like I put out in straw man. Um, but you know, what I'm saying is that, uh, with this, with this, com with this company, um, it's really important for you to understand the prospectus, um, really read that through, really understand the, the contract itself. Cause there are two different agreements that are there. Um, and I feel with Jadison, you know, you got to do your research. Uh, there's no shortcuts on this one um, because they have opportunities to do multiple exams for multiple different types of providers. Um, but, you know, the margins matter at the end of the day. And that's when you have to do your DCF and, and see what the fair value is. And um, at this stage in Strawman, I put a fair value of $3.60. Uh, that is assuming a very, very bullish scenario where they get $200 million in uh, 2024, very likely. But it can happen if they manage to hit certain time, like metrics. And especially yep. with the, said with the U.S. schools, uh, with, the, with, the, with the reopening, and also with the funding, because the Biden government increased funding for the CARES Act, which goes straight towards schools. Um, mm -hmm. this Open up an opportunity. Yeah, open up opportunity for Janison. And I think what's also not mentioned in that contract uh, uh, for, for, for the expansion in USA is the commission that goes towards Brightspace. I think they're going to announce that as well because I wouldn't, I would not assume that Janison gets all the revenues, even though they're there. No, neither. Yeah. They could probably get like probably um, have to pay a 30% commission or something. Um, that's what I was thinking. Um, but you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see how this com company progressed throughout time, but I believe this is stock of the week for sure. Cause not only me discuss it in the, in the platform, but you also discussed as well. And I know you're building a model out of it and you're talking to multiple people, including myself to get the best information. So I think this has to be stock of the week for this week. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, also regarding Jadison, um, what is your latest research now? Because I know we had a discussion beforehand. Have mm -hmm. changed in your mind? Um, are there things that you're considering? In your, in your, in yeah, sure. So I'm in the process of, I've put the model together um, and I've got, uh, I've been kind of reviewing what I'd made at first. I was a bit bullish on the margins. Uh, in my DCF, the one thing I've done different to you is not expanded the cash flows out over 10 years, but over a shorter period, um, which I think is definitely very sensitive to uh, inputs. And obviously, we know a, a model is only as strong as its weakest input. So right now, I'm not confident enough to put a, a valuation I'm going to stand by in a straw man. I think my DCF puts out something like a, a, a $2.50 valuation, but that is really banking on the success of the OECD. And I think in the range of possibilities and outcomes as an investor, we want, we want to know what the, the percentage chance that this thing loses out in the OECD contract in 2024 and what happens then. Um, and I think if knowing that in 2024 that the contract wasn't going to get renewed as a shareholder, uh, not as a shareholder, then I definitely wouldn't buy the stock today. And if I was a shareholder, I'd probably consider selling the stock because other than this OECD contract, I'm not 100% sure that, that $90 million revenues can come from anywhere else. So there's no, uh, there's no flag, there's no, nothing to flag at this stage. Uh, but but I, do, I don't think that will be the case. And I think being able to speak to the CEO in the next earnings call and clarifying that information will be so, so powerful. And I know you've mentioned that before 
and someone else on the forum was also mentioning it. Um, yeah, and, evaluation, and also, yeah, sorry, yeah. Go on. yeah, and also one final thing with the ICAS exam, um, that, that exam was, um, I think might be the, the most genius acquisition that I've seen short time investing, like yeah. 700,000 buying it, buying a, buying out an entity for UNSW Global that generated $5 million in revenue in Australia. But the reason why they managed to get at such a cheap price is because whoever was running it in UNSW Global really screwed it up due to the pandemic. It was a, a, a physical exam, a paper-based exam. And because of the COVID crisis, um, they just lost all that revenue. There was to offload it, yeah. Yeah, but Janison did. So Janison did the tests online, the ICAS exam, and they successfully did it. And they managed to get $5 million in revenues. So for a $700,000 spend, they got $5 million back, which I think is one of the most smartest things that they've ever done. And it's a 90% gross margin. So <laughs> all of that is, is to the shareholder, bottom line, yep. to, to the company, you know, it's, which, I, which I think is still one of the most smartest acquisitions I've seen. Very, very, uh, like the timing of that was really good as well. It, it was done like in May, right when the pandemic hit. So they got it at a really nice bargain. Um, also, um, what do you call it? Their plans for the ICAS exam is to do it globally. And they assume that it'll be $15. It's a $15 test. So they're going to do a million tests globally, which means $15 million in revenues long-term. And in my straw man, um, posts, I recently put it, put out that what about expanding it? Not just for English, math, science, but for other subjects like programming, you know, history or any of any of the arts, would that increase revenue? Um, that could be an interesting question to ask, actually, in the earnings call, because yep. um, I think they have hinted around expanding more subjects, but what would that mean in terms of uh, ARR? Like, would that increase from $15 per test to like, I don't know, $30 a test? Um, mm. And it wouldn't be that bad because by increasing the prices um, and you keep the cost the same, you're getting more back. Um, you're increasing your margins. Um, but obviously that's, you know, like I said, in the, in the, in the, in the forum or in the comments or whatever, that is my wishful thinking. But, um, if, uh, if that was to be true, then, well, Janison just got a whole lot more lucrative for investors. Um, but, uh, obviously, uh, we remain to see how that pans out. Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, that's the stock of the week. Uh, let's talk about a top 10 stock in straw man. And um, I mean, we had to go with Alcidian. Uh, the reason why we choose Alcidian is because both of us are invested in it. Uh, so the first one, Janice, I was invested in it. Reese, you weren't, so you missed out on the boat. <laughs> sure did. But, but this one, uh, we both invested in it. And I think we both made in, making very similar returns, but I made the idiotic decision to sell a bit early as I put out in a straw that I was a bit too early, I jumped the gun there. Um, right now it's at 45 cents. So I think the market cap's like in the 300 millions, right? Uh, geez, let me get my model up. It's pushing on 400 now, I believe. Oh, 400, um, holy crap, okay. <laughs> yeah, just with the I new... Sold, yeah, um, yeah, I sold um, my 7K stake in, in, in straw man just to, um, you know, try to increase my return on the long run, but I think I was a bit too early on it. I'm not going to sell anymore. So I'm just going to ride out with what I have, but i um, interested to know what your take on Alcidian. Yeah, sure. So I've been a, a shareholder in Alcidian for a long time. I think I first uh, heard Alcidian on this platform. So it just shows how great it can be. Uh, I'm not saying every stock that gets recommended on Strawman has done well since because that's obviously not the case, but I first heard uh, on the Equity Mates podcast, I think it was Andrew talking about Alcidian, so I started doing some research. Uh, I understood that Alcidian have got like a next level product in the hospitals, uh, but there's several problems and a good, a good business uh, doesn't make a good investment. And at the time, the risk to reward probably wasn't great. Uh, and since then, they've done amazing cake work and, and the team have just won over a lot of contracts in the NHS, NHS trust in England. Um, and there's no sign that that's going to slow down. I'd imagine they're going to upsell and cross-sell with a new acquisition uh, of ExtraMed. Um, and that's when I was quoting, sorry, the, the market cap now or the share price of uh, 44 cents is, uh, just one second, is, is, is closing, on, closing on 500 mil. 
uh, which is a lot because these guys are, aren't actually profitable yet. Uh, unlike Janison are actually cl very close to crossing the inflection point, if not have crossed it. Uh, whereas Obsidian, I think it's going to take uh, maybe a couple more. They, they were pro profitable uh, in the most recent uh, quarterly, but I think with the new acquisition and they're going to put some spending forward, I think uh, it, it may be yet to foreseen to, to see this uh, sustained turn into profitability. Um, but I think, like I said, what with with this stock, it's a cracking company. But at the, price, the share price of uh, forty four cents or a market cap of four four hundred and sixty ish million, it's got a lot lot of growth priced in, maybe twenty percent uh, for the next four or five years. Uh, and if they don't meet that, then the stock is going to be hurt. And then for buy it at this level, you've got to then anticipate that they're going to maybe do a forty percent CAGR with a with a margin of safety or a thirty percent. And, and that's asking an awful lot as an investor. The price you pay is always one of the most important things, if not the most important thing. Because every good company, uh, I, I think it's a Howard Marks or a Buffett quote, every good company uh, becomes an unattractive investment at a certain price and vice versa. Every bad company becomes attractive at a, at a certain low price. I think with these guys, it's pushing it. So I actually took a sold of maybe a fifth of my holding in real life um, at 44 three cents, something like that. I did say it climbed higher, which is, you know, I'm never going to time the top, so I'm not going to sit here and say that. But I think if uh, if the share price pushed above 50 cents on on no more good news, I would definitely consider selling down again, just on valuation concerns. I think the company's doing really well, though. I agree. Um, but except for the sell down, because I already did sell down, so I do not want to sell down. <laughs> That's for me. Um, but I agree with you with regarding it's a great company. It's run by great management. Um, I was skeptical in management when I first saw it. Um, I just saw it, I think, one or two times ago in 2019, late 2019. I heard about Alcidian, but I didn't really go into it. Um, I was thinking about investing, but then I had to do further research. And then when the pandemic hits and I saw that Kate bought, I don't know, uh, so much shares. I think she bought a package. Yep. She bought like a million shares worth i think at like 10 cents or something i just thought wow that's just that's just me that what that told me was that i know that kate's a great uh, manager and for her to buy it at that time means that she feels the company's undervalued and that's when i bought as well um i i, I bought with management and sometimes that's a, it's a good way of doing it because that way um if the management's wrong then you're wrong but uh because it was already down as well that's kind of gave me that, you know, uh, that comfort zone and uh, knowing that the, the valuation is very low as well. Uh, but right now the valuation is hitting 500 million and I don't know how sustainable that is. It's same with uh, Pointera. Um, valuation is still very, very high. Like I think the 500 million, I think, or 450 million for $1 million in ARR. But we're not going to talk about... Mm. This is one of the top 10 straw man stocks, but we're just talking about Alcidium this week. Um, maybe next week we can talk about Poitera and get, get into a better understanding of the company. But literally, Alcidium, the, the growth plans in the future is in um, NHS, the UK growth. Uh, and there's about 200 sites that are in uh, UK and Alcidium has around about 20 now with the extra med acquisition of six more sites. So it might come a point where they need to acquire to grow. And that can be a bit of a concern because if they need to acquire to grow, then, you know, okay, yes, they got the site and sort of integration to get more AR, you know, average revenue per user, or in this case per hospital, but it's not a sustainable way of growing. Cause if they don't, if they can't raise capital at very high prices, then they can't acquire. Right. Um, so that's something to think about because, I'm not sure which ed tech, like which health tech player owns what, because there's another company there. There are many competitors there. Um, I think one of them, Roman, uh, but I, but I, but I think I, I, I think Nerve Center, yeah, Nerve Center. That's one of the companies that uh, have some NHS um, trusts that are using their uh, health workflow management architecture. Um, so that, that, that competes directly with Alcidian. Alcidian has many, many products like the Mia and Mia Precision, as well as a smart page. Um, but like, uh, you know, Nerve Center have their own products and they're using it in NHS uh, hospitals and districts. 
So the question remains, um, will Alcidian acquire them, for instance, or will they outcompete them and get the, get the site? Because with healthcare, it's a bit hard because it's very sticky customers. Like when you get that customer and then NHS, you know, trust or a district, like they, they know you like, like a first name basis because they wouldn't do the deal until you meet them face to face. Um, in this case, they managed to do it through Zoom because I think even the NHS realized that, you know, because of the pandemic, you can't really meet face to face to um, face. That could be, that could be great for our city because that means there's less business trip costs to go overseas. But in saying that, you know, when you get those types of customers, it's, the, it's a question of the market size and uh, how does LCD go about penetrating more in the NHS before they, you know, before they realize that they can't do any more in the UK market and they had to go to US. Because that's what's going to happen next is once they've done enough penetration, they go, okay, maybe we need to go to a new market to grow. Otherwise, um, you know, it's just not cost effective. Um, and, you know, by then, you know, we don't know what the future will be, but, um, that's why there are some risks involved and a lot of growth has been priced, uh, but they're winning very like unique tenders, government tenders, like the department of defense one as well. Um, we do not know what the, if they, if they win it until they give us the full, full year results as well. Um, but you know, things like that is what makes our city, you know, very flexible, uh, uh, platform. Uh, in terms of an ARR, it just adds up. So the way I see it is whenever they win, win a contract, you just add that ARR on top <laughs> and just keep adding, adding, adding until, you know, you reach the market size. So um, it's a very interesting company to analyze, very interesting company to value. Um, but obviously uh, with my valuation of our CD at 37 cents, um, I feel like that's, I'm, I'm giving it a benefit of the doubt and the market is going above and beyond what I'm giving right now. hundred percent. So it'll yeah, be interesting yeah. to see how it plays out. Um, if you had one question to Quake, Kate Quirk in the next earnings call, what would that be? Um, hard to bring it down to one because I always ask her a fair few questions. Um, uh, probably around the upselling uh, component with the extra med and how they're going to address that with the uh, original NSA, NHS trust they have. Um, I think she would say, yes, they're going to do that, but not obviously talk about it in limelight because it's uh, sensitive if someone from uh, those NHS, NHS trusts was listening. Because remember, this is all public money. Uh, so I think I would ask surrounding that and, and pricing and how they're going to do that. Um, yeah. Work board, uh, I just got it up now. She did purchase shares uh, one and a half million back in March last year. So just was at the bottom. Yeah. So she did put her own money in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think my question to her would be regarding the market landscape, like how competitive it is. And just to ask her, does your competitors own NHS tr trusts that you don't have already? and that you plan on growing towards, and do you have to buy them out? I think that would be my question because um, usually when NHS trusts sign any deals, they have a good relationship with whoever they sign. They don't sign for anyone like randomly. Yep. And usually you have to buy them out in order for them to, uh, for you to win that trust. So my question would be, do you have to in the future have to buy them out or do you, or can you still outcompete them and win that contract? With, with, a, with a better offering? That'll, that'll be a very interesting question. I, I'm, and I'm not sure if she, she'll let us know further details on that because she'll probably try to say, oh yeah, we're not going to acquire yet. <laughs> we have plans for acquisition, but we're not going to let the market know. I think that also, yeah. In that's the past, that's what they've said to me when I've asked questions, uh, which is you know, fair enough. You know, don't want to cross the line there. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, so let's move on to the third topic, and this is an interesting one. Um, this is what I chose. This is not what Reese chose. Uh, this is uh, Investor of the Week. And you know what? I'm going to give Sly Meat from Strawman the benefit of the doubt. And I even followed him, as you can see in the screenshot right there. I followed him because I think it's one of the most amazing way of investing I've ever seen. He, he buys companies that are in the R&D phase, at a very low valuation and then holds it through. And if you look at his pro, pro, uh, portfolio in Strawman, you have it like 
Immugene, which is a cancer, like a biotech uh, company that, uh, see, even I do not know exactly what they do, but I know that they provide a very valuable service in the biotech, uh, trying to solve, uh, trying to have a cancer therapy. Uh, and I think something along those lines, and they have a great technology and it has passed the trials, I think, and now they're going to do commercialization. Um, but he has that. And then he even has strategic elements, which is a government venture back subsidiary. And I think it's very cool subsidiary because I actually read that if you own strategic elements and if you make money in terms of capital gains or in the form of dividends, uh, the capital gains tax is zero dollars because it's an Australian government uh, venture back subsidiary. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't that's know why that. I was thinking, I was like, no holy way. crap, this is really cool. I'm like, I'm like, the stuff he invests is quite like fascinating. And then obviously, yeah. we talked about Alcidian. I mean, Alcidian, we, we, we all own now. <laughs> um, but then obviously, the, 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 key, the key discussion point in his portfolio is Brainship. Uh, this guy invested at a very uh, low valuation. Not, not very low valuation, but at a low valuation. Good point. Yep, yep. He's done pretty well at it, but he's been posting a lot in Straw Man with Brainship and saying how great Akita's chip is and how great the breakthroughs are. And I think it's just, I think he's a fascinating investor to talk about because I think um, he deserves in my book to be part of investor of the week. Um, he's ranked number fourth in the community. Um, and, I, and I think he provides some a very unique insight into how to invest, um, which is not what, what I do with my investing, not what you do with your investing, Reese. But I think there is some something to learn from him. Because um he got a he got a ten bagger with Imugene. Like did we? No, we didn't. So yeah. Um, what, what what do you think? Some of the some of the aspects of his uh, investing that uh, appeals to you? Uh, probably his returns in the first place. Like uh, <laughs> he's got a ten bagger and I don't. So there's that. Um, yeah, as you said, it's very very different from how I would invest. Uh, number one, I don't invest in biotechs because I don't have that background and I don't know what I don't know. Um, and then there's some other reasons around that, but also uh, being very concentrated, as you can see, he's only got uh, a handful of stocks there one, two, three, four, five, six, six stocks. And in Imogen being half a portfolio, he must have a lot of conviction on it, even still after it's 10 bags, which is phenomenal. If he thinks if this thing pulls off, his portfolio will be through the roof. Um, so you can't grumble with those type of returns. Uh, in terms of risk adjusted returns, uh, it would be a lot lower because. Obviously, he's very concentrated in that one stock, but he's done incredibly well out of it. So um, kudos to him because he's done a lot better than I have. Um, uh, obviously, in Alcidian, uh, he's been in that since 20 cents, which is a stock we've just spoken about. Uh, Brainchip, <clears throat> not something I am uh, a fan of, just on valuation grounds. I don't understand, again, uh, the Akita chip and, and, and all the technology. I understand, from what I do understand, it's a fantastic a piece of technology but um when i looked at the numbers um that's what i've been taught to do as an investor and i've never seen a bit of, bigger red flag on numbers on the numbers side uh, one billion valuation and the company's not actually got any revenues yet so you know i don't know what i don't know and, and therefore i'm not going to sit here and flag them off but just from from uh, how attractive they've been to, to a lot of people on the platform not really for me uh, but he posts a lot, so I mate. this guy's a great contributor. So just got to say thanks for that. Um, uh, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, because at this rate, you're going to be a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. And um, what, I, what I really find fantastic about is brainship analysis, because I did invest in brainship, uh, on flat, fun fact, I did invest in it four years ago when I first started out investing in stocks. Oh, yeah. It's my third investment. And my first two were Afterpay and Appen. So talk about of the draw and talk about Bagus. me. Uh, when I first started investing, when I you know first you know got into uni and everything, and I sold out like a year or two later because I didn't have a long term time horizon. I did not understand anything about investing. I just thought they were really fun companies. And uh, with Brainship, I know a bit where they, they what they're really the real key technology. I under, from my understanding is. When you, when you do deep neural networks um, for like machine learning, it's uh, very time uh, consuming as well as um, it takes up a lot of, uh, lot of processing power. And um, the way normal uh, 
machine learning is done is through the cloud. But even when you do it through the cloud, it just takes forever for your machine learning to like learn. So when you when you do, I mean, this is probably something easy to understand if you code. But I tried a bit of coding, and uh, just 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 for lols. And I was, I was putting in a machine learning model and it took me like five minutes for, for the model to input something, like to, to get an app, like an answer or whether or not my model worked or not. And um, what they're doing is they're, they're saying, no, 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 you don't have to go through a server. We'll just put it at the edge so that it just trains quicker. So yep. that in itself is really cool technology. Um, that's why I think BrainShip in terms of the uh, patent and the R&D is like, right up there and there are people who have uh, like uh, the previous ceo had a lot of experience in uh getting the patterns out of the way but now they claim that they can mass commercialize and that i don't agree with um i feel that it takes a while for them to commercialize and funny enough in one of the latest investor presentation deck i saw a slide where they told investors i think they were meant they were not meant to tell investors but they show projections on the akita sales and it was just like, like 100, 150, 200, 350, and then like 3,000 in like year 20, mm -hmm. or like 2025, sorry. So that in itself uh, is kind of a red flag because they're letting everyone know that when it comes to commercialization, it's going to take a while before the sales come. So it's not a guaranteed. And even though they have um, agreements with uh, TSMC and Socionext, um, we have the currently globally, we have the chip shortages. So um, I don't think they have time to like put in a new chip, especially when you're shortage, they need to make as many chips as possible for everyone. Um, so that in itself is a big risk, but kudos to him. He made, he made his return, um, hopefully it does well for him. And uh, it, it sticks with his uh, buyer. He says, I like researching new technologies, finding small companies, doing R&D in these areas and incubating investments in them for a few years. So. He's, he's all about the venture investing and, uh, you know, investing at a low valuation and holding for a long period of time. Finally, we'll talk about lessons of this week. Um, this is my lesson of this week and it's uh, Zuno. And uh, it's a company that I owned and in 8th of June, which is this week, um, they really, they put out an announcement that really like, you know, it's like, it's like someone put a dagger in my heart and then just, uh, just twisted as well, just to, you know, just to, just to see how I, how, how I bleed. And uh, I bleed pretty much um, because this is not how um, investors should be treated, um, especially when uh, the founder CEO said that he's not going to sell stock at double the valuation. And then he ended up doing it a year later, uh, which I think is a massive red flag. And that's not how you should treat your shareholders, because if you tell them one thing and you do the other thing, you know, that's not how we should, that's not how our proper CEOs uh, manage. Um, so they just did, he decided to sell 7 million shares to Regal Funds <laughs> and uh, another UK-based asset management firm. And Regal, please bear in mind, they have a very bad history. And I find it shorting yeah. that they call Regal as uh, one of the top fund managers. Like, the reason why they're top is because they're short everything and they make money from the short. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. they, they don't make money from the longs they make money from the shorts so when i see that regal gets more stock and they get the opportunity to short as well like as a, as a bonus i'm thinking holy crap like um I'm, I'm gonna like stay stay away from this company for a while because um those guys are responsible for shorting the stock that's why the share price went down as well and um the fact that he in 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 in, you know, in the in the third paragraph, he says he has no plans to sell any more shares. I doubt that he he might sell more because <laughs> um, the average price for his shares are around eight cents. So if it were to like halve even at like thirty cents or twenty five cents, you know he can still sell and make a profit. You know what I mean? So um, that's why I I really do not trust management anymore. Um, even though in my straw man post, I talked about how the AFR hit piece was like, you know, it's just me protecting the company because me, I, cause I feel like there might be reasons as to why, um, you know, this could be like a one-off thing and it shouldn't really be taken seriously. But obviously I made the mistake and um, I should have known better that there are some uh, conflict of interest here. And 
all of this um, just hurts the shareholder. And at this stage, I just want to reduce my weighting <laughs> in straw man. Let's just get it out of the portfolio uh, slowly. Um, but yeah, you, and the funny thing is the reason why I talk about lessons from this week is you also invest in Zuno. And I saw that you also have a very bold thesis on it. So I want to see what your take of this latest announcement is. Gee, way to rub it in. Um, <laughs> yeah, I bought on the way up. No, I, yeah, I didn't research it properly. Uh, it was one of my first proper investments with serious money. Um, and looking back, I didn't do the research. So I'm not going to sit here and say I got it completely wrong because I didn't know what I was really doing. Um, but uh, the one thing that I would summarize it is, and you hit it on with the management as well, is that every time these guys put out a 4C, uh, he was reporting on a different metric each month, uh, each quarterly. And that's just the biggest red flag you can get in terms of management. Uh, he couldn't stick. It went from sales invoiced, uh, cash receipts. I'm thinking like, you've got to stick to the story here, fellas. Um, and, yeah. and looking back, that was that from the start. I mean, getting the actual pandemic thing wrong and, and everyone mass producing hand sanitizer, that's a different story. Uh, but when you talk about management, I think uh, that them, them not having the same backstory in terms of reporting to market and being not very being upfront with the, uh, uh, with the trials in the UK uh, when the 30 day trial got taken down for Zuno, a lot of things regarding that, they weren't very upfront with investors. Rather, you just tell me the bad news to my face and don't cover it in bullshit. I just want to know. And, you know, as an owner of the company, I wasn't entitled to that information. Um, and therefore, I was a bit disappointed. And looking back and seeing the share price performance and the business performance, not massively surprised. And I wouldn't go near it. Now, it's trading on a very, very thin, uh, very low multiple. But I think that's a value trap, really, maybe, because... Uh, I can't imagine these guys, you know, making 60 million in a few years' time when COVID's kind of over. Uh, they, they, yeah. they obviously pay a, a dividend, fully frank dividend, I believe. And, uh, and I, believe I, I think that, that pretty high. I'll stop you there. I think the dividend was for the shareholder. Uh, sorry, for, for the founder. Because he owns 40% of the company. So mm. dividend, like, went straight to his pocket. That's, how, that's what some people are saying. And you know what? I actually agree. Because if you own like 45 cents, uh, like sorry, 45% of the company and you pay a dividend, that 45% is for you. The other 55% is for everyone else. Yeah. And, um, that's why I was just thinking, uh, now, now he'll probably not pay a dividend, right? So if he doesn't pay a dividend, then <laughs> what is really, what are, what are investors really getting out of this? And I think it's just mm. a bad um, communication to investors, just, just very bad uh, actions. Um, because I like, you know, any, some CEOs lie and that's fine. Some CEOs can say whatever they want, but if they're consistent, then investors have at least some sort of certainty on the way the company yep. themselves. So, yeah. So that, that way we can make any, we can make decisions ourselves. But the fact that this CEO and this company in general uh, just goes back and forth like a, t you know, like a tabletop with whatever they want to say, it just, it just made me go, that's it. That's the last straw. I'm not going near it. <laughs> um, and also with regarding um, their contracts even. And that's why what was funny was that I, I probably, you know, I should have known this because in my, my previous straw man updates, I talked about um, like how you said that they reported a different metric in every 4C. And one of the metrics that I tried uh, having difficulty understanding is the sales invoice and then how it converts to cash. Because when I was reading through the fine print in Zuno, they have 90-day policy to get cash. And I thought, okay, I'll check the 4C from, you know, two or three quarters ago because they just won some contracts, right? Like two or three quarters ago. And I wanted to know exactly how much of those uh, invoices that they that they want, like how much, much of those contract with they want and how much of it has turned to cash because it should be turned to cash now, right? And then I see the... Yep. Yep. I see the same number. I'm like, hang on a minute. Did they like not win the, did they not get the cash? <laughs> That's like literally written in the contract where you, the, the entity has to pay 90 days. Right. And then I realized that this may be the, the Saudi Arabia entity. Cause you know how they have distributed agreements with our, yep, yep. like the other guys in MENA, like Middle East um, and North, North Africa region. Um, mm -hmm. 
won those contracts, but because they're not getting the cash, it just comes to my mind, like, do they, like, can they actually get money out of Middle East? Because yeah. Because I feel like a ne- an, another lawsuit is on its way or like it's getting, you know, conjured up because um, these guys have a reputation of going to lawsuits, uh, but we're not getting the cash as investors. So what's going on? Um, that's why uh, mm. a lesson from this week is about uh, looking at the telltale signs in the beginning and making a decision when you start to see the ship, you know, it's like the Titanic uh, going down the, going down the sea and, uh, and being very proactive because I was very late with my reaction and now it's just a bit too late for me. So uh, hopefully, you know, you know, I, I lost 40% of my investment in this in straw man. So um, I'm going to take the hit, bite the bullet. Uh, I'll have a bit of an investment still in Zuno because um, the valuation is actually like, <laughs> I didn't even stretch the valuation with that I did. For like 2025 onwards with my assumptions uh, mm-hmm. and I got to a dollar in, in terms of the valuation and I just thought okay you know because the valuation is so low I'll still keep a little little bit because the market always goes up and down so yep. um, but yeah but that's a that's a really powerful lesson is um, you know when the when it starts to not smell right you have to make a make a quick decision otherwise um, you're gonna gonna end up paying for it later and uh, that's what I that's what I face. Um, and that that was my lesson for this week, uh, Mr. Reese. Did you have your lesson for this week? Um, no, I think I could definitely take a lot from your lesson in the, the same research and management because I I own Zuno, um, and I've learned a lot through this. And I stopped following it after I sold my shares because I was very irritated. And for you to come back and 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 we talk about this information is pretty important to me because. Uh, I, I was also a, I'll say a victim. I'll say uh, I didn't do my research. And so basically the lesson we learn is just do your research on management. Um, go on hot copper, go on straw man, have a look what people are saying. Because uh, if you're not going to do it yourself, you can maybe even cut the time down and see what other people are saying. You're obviously best to do it yourself, but um, you can pick up these things pretty quickly. And that's what straw man is a perfect platform for. Um, you know, I agree. This information from from you or I writing about it, watching this video. You know, who, uh, someone that was uh, going to research a company that's on a six times price earnings multiple. It's got to be a problem. Yeah, well, here it is, and we're telling you why. So, yeah. So before we wrap it up uh, for this first our first inaugural podcast of the week for Strawman, uh, Strawman Weekly, we want to I want to ask you one question to end it off with. Uh, what is one stock? that's in your horizon and in, in your radar that you're doing research on and why got to leave something out for the podcast listeners. come on they're all they're all stocks like they, they really want stocks like they, they want to know what they what's the next big thing well what's something that's in your horizon yeah so um i'm looking at scroll group right now which is a tiny tiny company i think it's like oh jesus the market cap one second uh very tiny company it's uh 20 mil market cap maybe even less uh they do a SaaS platform for for hiring teachers and and hr uh so i'm just doing some research on them i think the uh they've signed a deal with uh faria which is uh there's got a lot of potential there if they get this half right um the the stock could be rated a lot higher than it is today so that's what i'm researching uh yeah got to ask the same question back to yourself for me, um, the one stock that I'm looking into and I'm doing a lot of research into uh, is PointsBet because there's this guy in Strawman called Chalky that keeps on talking about PointsBet every day <laughs> and writing about a piece on PointsBet every day or based on whatever happens in the North American market or in the Canadian market or even in the betting market in general and what's PointsBet's doing. And he's talking about how great the stock is, but he hasn't invested himself. Uh, I just wanted. I just wanted to see what's what's the big deal. Like, come on, the company is growing triple digits in revenues, um, which I think is fantastic. But uh, is it really worth uh, the valuation that they have right now? I mean, they have signed so many deals with the NBC, and they're expanding like wildfire in America. But is it sustainable, or can can does it come back to shareholders in some way or form? Uh, looking at competitors like DraftKings, I think is quite useful for me as well because DraftKings is a it's a key competitor. And even in Australia, sports bet, right? Everyone uses sports bet or ladders yep. for, for betting. Mm-hmm. 
So what's what's really what like what's the special thing about PointsBet? Like, and I know they are really into advertising in terms of marketing. Uh, they hire you know Instagram influencers, yeah. and and who not you know um, you know you, you you have Tiger Tiger Woods playing you know that that costs money, but um, that could bring in the views. Uh, so it's a very interesting industry, betting industry as well. I know it's not ESG um, because you know it's not very um, good in terms of the governance portal protocol because you have you know all these issues. But it's still a very interesting uh, company to analyze and, and see how they go. Um, but yeah, so hope you guys enjoyed our first inaugural week on Strawman. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this content. Hope you found something very useful. Learn something about the companies that we're passionate about uh, and the companies that we do a lot of research on. Um, and we and we choose the podcast platform as a way of doing it because you know you, you can only you know share about you know 200 words of your research in Strawman, but you don't really get to see our decision making um, because you know it's kind of hard to put everything into words. And I thought. Mm, yep. And I uh, hope, hope you guys enjoy this first week in Strawman Weekly. Take care. Great to chat. <laughs>